This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is brought to you by You On Fire. You On Fire is the amazing 12-week online group coaching program that I run where we build up your worth from the ground up so that it's no longer hinging on the way that you look. It's got personalized coaching from me and incredible community support plus lifetime access. Get details on what's included in this program and sign up to be notified when doors open for the next cycle by going to summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I would love to have you in that program and in that group. This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 127, and I am interviewing Sassy Latte, body and sex positive feminist, about how the concept of self love leaves out marginalized individuals, issues within body positivity, including tokenization, and more. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this podcast at summerinandin.com forward slash 127. Before we begin, I want to give a shout out to Deb, who left this amazing review. Summer and her podcast have been a turning point for me to move away from my decades-long struggle with excessive exercise, diet restrictions, and body hate. They cover the gauntlet, the ga- the gauntlet, the gamut of body positive thought leaders on the podcast. She is amazing, and so is her message. Everyone who has ever looked in the mirror and hated the way they see themselves needs to listen to this podcast and start living again. Thank you so much for that amazing five-star review. If you haven't already done so. Take a minute to leave a review for the show. It helps others to find the information you are learning here. And you can do that by going to iTunes, searching for Fearless Rebel Radio, then click ratings and reviews and click to leave a review or give it a rating. And if you haven't already done so, please take a second to subscribe to the show via iTunes or whatever platform you use. Lastly, don't forget, you can grab the free 10-day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. Or you can just go to thebodyimagecoach.com and find everything there. Today's guest is Brianna, aka Sassy Latte. Sassy is a body and sex positive feminist who advocates for marginalized individuals under the handle Sassy Latte on Instagram. Here you'll find Sassy facilitating open discussions about sociopolitics and intersectional feminism, and in Sassy's words, juxtaposed against dope-ass selfies. I have been an avid follower of Sassy's Instagram account for a long time and have learned a tremendous amount of information from reading everything that goes on over there. And I am thrilled to have this interview go live and to have you listen to it. Check it out. Sassy, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I thanks. appreciate it. Thank you for coming on the show. As I said, I was a little bit nervous, but I'm, <laughs> I know it's going to be a good discussion. <laughs> and I'm really, really thrilled that you're here. Thanks. I'm excited too. I think this is going to be a really, I think the questions and topics that we'll be discussing are really important topics to discuss. So I'm thrilled about that. Yeah. Obviously I have a lot of opinions on them. So (laughs) that's why you're here. That's why I reached out. So I would love you to start just by telling our listeners a little bit more about how Sassy Latte came to be, like why you started the Instagram account and how that came into fruition. 
That's really interesting. Um, I actually just started just because I, I had a blog that didn't have any direction whatsoever. And my account initially was just to drive traffic to my blog that was pretty much pointless. And people started telling me as I was going out that they liked my clothes and they, you know, they wanted to know more about like where I was getting my clothes or who was doing my makeup or how I was doing my makeup. And, um, at the time I hadn't posted any sort of full body pictures. Um, just looking at my body made me feel really uncomfortable. And so I was like, well, if I'm going to start doing more style blogging, I have to get more comfortable with my body. And that involves seeing my body. And so, um, I kind of just shifted my focus on Instagram to kind of unpacking my insecurities with my body and also recognizing how political my body inherently is and trying to discuss some of those, um, those topics, like those political, those political things that really tie into, you know, my identity development and my body image. And so things kind of just went from there basically and blossomed into a very political space. I am very, very political. I've just never fused politics with identity development and um, reconciling my body image the way that I do now. Yeah. So I would love for you to talk a little bit more about that, like how how you came to kind of fuse those two together or how one supported the other? Um, well, I mean, I think that a lot of discussions surrounding body image are really tied to beauty. I think like a lot of thin white women are always being questioned as the authority on body image because those, because those conversations take place in those ways, we leave out things about what it means to be fat and how the world responds to fat bodies and what that does to our body image and how that shifts us from not wanting to necessarily feel beautiful, but also wanting to feel safe and accepted and have access to rights and resources. And because those conversations are so whitewashed, I think people think that black is beautiful means that black people just want to feel pretty, but our beauty is also tied to wanting to be feeling as valuable citizens in our society, worthy of safety, worthy of being seen as um, something beyond criminalized animals. And so it was just really hard for me to talk about how I feel about my body or my identity development without also talking about the politics behind those things and how they, those politics influence the ways that I feel about my body. Yeah, yeah. And that's, and I think it's like, it's critical, because you can't unpack those feelings, unless you look at it from that, that political perspective. It, it is imperative, I think, in order to work through those thoughts, because otherwise, there's just so much self blame. Sure, absolutely. And it also gives you the false impression that you have control over things that you ultimately don't. Mm-hmm. How did you find body positivity? Like, did you did did you kind of discover it before you even had this Instagram, or like, when did that come into your into your, on your radar? That's so funny. Um, two things. It's actually kind of an accident. Um, two things happened. One my friend was just getting into plus size style blogging and she just wanted to grow a following. And she and I used to commiserate a lot about like what we could do to increase our audience, our followers. And, um, one of the things that she saw that was getting a lot of momentum was like just using 
the body positive hashtag. And so I didn't know what it was, what it meant. I just started using it because I was like, cool, we're trying to get followers. You know, we want our blog to be popular. The other thing that happened is I encountered yours truly, Melly. She was uh, showed up on my Facebook timeline um, with a friend of a friend or a mutual friend of ours. I'm sorry. And I was just like, what the hell? What the hell? How is this bitch fat? And she's wearing this and she's in public and she's singing and she's confident. And I'm like, my mind just started like wheeling out of control because I just nothing computed about that image. So I started stalking her on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, by stalking her, I learned about the politics behind body positivity. And um, I kind of just got roped into body positivity via questioning the origin of it and the politics behind it versus what we were actually seeing like on social media and in mass media. And, and I don't know, everything kind of just spiraled from there. Yeah, like when you first discovered it, were your thoughts, because obviously your thoughts have probably really evolved on it. And you've talked about sure. like, just like, you know, kind of like not being involved in it at all. And, <laughs> I mean, you know, which we'll get to because like, I definitely want to talk to you about that. But I'm curious about your initial thoughts. Like, were you like, this is this is really great? Or right away, were you like, this is for thin white women and that's a problem? I think initially... Just because of where I was in terms of my self-confidence, I felt really in need of a community and I felt really in need of validation. And I think initially I really mistook genuine validation. I mistook tokenization for validation. Like I felt validated, but really I wasn't being respected or understood um, by a lot of people. But in the beginning, it really felt like that was a beautiful thing it felt like I was a part of the space that really cared about the politics behind body image and identity for marginalized people. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I felt really wanted and desired and validated through that. But the deeper I got into things and the, the more I started reading posts and really paying attention to accounts, I recognized that it was a lot of tokenization, but not very many people are educated in, you know, the political aspect of things, yeah. um, especially, you know, identity politics or politics related to body image at all. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I know. I want to talk to you about the tokenization thing in a bit, sure. but I, I want to keep it close to your story just for right this second, because I know one of the things I've heard you talk about before in your in your stories is just the concept of self-love and you, you know, kind of rolling your eyes at it and just, you know, really talking about how it neglects the the trauma and experiences of marginalized bodies. So can you talk a little bit about that? I feel like self-love as it presents online is so trivial. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, And I don't mean to roll my eyes at anybody's experience, but like when you live a life that is full of so much body privilege, you really cannot grasp the trauma of living in a marginalized body. Yeah. And self-love for a marginalized person goes beyond just feeling comfortable with our body and it goes beyond loving our body. I feel really like almost slighted when I try to engage in self-love that's really body centric, just because as a marginalized person, I already know that my body 
may never be accepted by society. So my self-love has to be more evolved and it has to be more comprehensive than just being tied to finding beauty and appreciation for my body. My self-love has to involve a deeper understanding of my identity. My self-love has to involve um, an appreciation for my you know, intelligence and my capabilities and my capacity for empathy and compassion. Like all of those things are of the self and all of those things deserve attention and, you know, acknowledgement. But when it comes to self-love, it doesn't seem like people really care about those components, but those components for marginalized people are really profound, um, especially because our self-love will never be sufficient if it's just body centric. Well, I think something you mentioned earlier, just when you were when you were talking about how you fuse the political with like your personal and and identity was you you mentioned the word safety. And I think, you know, like the the idea of safety being a huge like how can you how can you have self love when safe, you know, like your existence and your safety is is threatened. Like that's absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But it gets, I think that's also like, I think for a person in a body of privilege, self-love is so internalized. And when you're in a marginalized body, how you feel about yourself largely is impacted by external forces. And I don't think that people distinguish between those two. I think that um, privileged voices and imagery kind of is prioritized and then it kind of just gets projected onto all of us. But how I feel about my skin isn't just how I woke up and feel about it. It's hundreds of years of being told that black is ugly, you know, and how I feel about my body, you know, isn't I just woke up and felt like fat was a bad thing. It's society reminding me that it's ugly and lazy and fat and unattractive and undesirable. Yeah. So what's helped you kind of unpack those things for yourself? I don't know that I have. (laughs) Yeah. I really think that it's an ongoing commitment to just being aware and constantly questioning myself and holding myself accountable and giving myself space to grieve past identities and giving myself the opportunity to grow in whatever capacity that might mean. If it means growing through mistakes or if it means growing through leaving people behind like whatever growth means, it, it involves allowing myself the space to do that. So in the world of, like I'm putting in quotation marks here, self-love, we'll call it. Like people, <laughs> sure. you know, because I, I, cringe, I cringe at the word because it's, it's so focused on the self when it's, it's such a cultural thing. So I, I, sure. I you know, and I, I, anyways, I have other thoughts on it. But um, <laughs> what do you think needs to be talked about more in, in this land that we exist in <laughs> online, I guess? <laughs> That's the best way of putting it. Yeah, um, I think when it comes to self love, I just wish that the conversation was more comprehensive. I think that's really it. You know what I mean? I feel like people really feel like they're doing critical intersectional work when they're having these conversations about body image. And then they're just not, you know, they're Mm -hmm. just not, they're not getting political with it. They're not even getting deep with it. They're not um, talking about trauma. They're not talking about intergenerational trauma. They're not talking about like really anything. Literally it's devoid of substance. And I wish that people would talk about that. I made a post probably a year ago 
talking about the ED recovery community and how I didn't, I couldn't relate to it because it was devoid of substance. And somebody mentioned that, well, we don't want to talk about our trauma because it's traumatic. And I'm like, well, trauma, as ugly as it is, is a really important part of self-love. And I don't understand how conversations about self-love happen without conversations about trauma and grief and growth, because those are all part of the self. Yeah. Yeah. And I think some people would say, well, if I came out of the gate, like talking about that, then I would push people away because there has to be some kind of ladder to get like almost like this, you know what I mean? Sure. Like the super, like what I call, what I call like, okay, so what what I refer to as like Amy Schumer body positivity, which, you know, like it's just, or like maybe you're like Bopo Barb, right? Like that's what you call sure. it. Um, like that like draws, you know, like that'll draw, and I, and, I, and I suppose this is like totally coming from like a white person perspective, but like will draw in people and, and then you kind of, you know, they, then they sort of go down the rabbit hole and then they fi- start finding accounts like yours and, and, you know, like Melissa's and other people's that are way more political. And at that point, like they're more open to it. But so I'm curious to know, like, is there... Like, is there any kind of value in that from your perspective? Um, value in like superficial yeah. self-love? Well, like just in terms of like getting people in like a foot in the door with it. You know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like people are a great deal more resilient than we allow for them to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, we live in this kind of culture where we really value like hedonism and we really value instant gratification and, you know, things that make us feel good and feel happy. And, um, we kind of want to max out on that before we go looking for something real. I feel like it's up to each their own. My personal preference has always been to search for something real and substantive, but I recognize that not everybody is, is in a position to test their resilience in that capacity. Yeah. And so maybe for those people, they do need to tiptoe and test the waters and see what they can handle. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, like I, 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 I don't disagree with you at all. I was just, I was just super curious as to, as to your thoughts on it. Cause I've had that discussion before with other people who have found the movement and, and said like, okay, if it weren't for somebody like, Mm-hmm. I'm not going to name names, but you know, like somebody who, yeah. who keeps it more. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, like you know who I'm talking about. Um, if it weren't for them, I would have never found somebody like somebody like you, yeah. and you being you, yeah. sassy, not not me. You know what I mean? And so, well, I think like that's a different conversation. Yeah, I think that that's a different. I think that that conversation isn't about the value of self-love as much as it's about the value of tokenization. <laughs> ah, okay. So talk to you about that then. <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't know how to feel about it. Obviously, I want my audience to grow. Obviously, I want more people involved in this discussion. I like to think of of my page as like an ongoing conversation. And of course, I want more perspectives and opinions and and I want more people involved in that. But I I don't know how to feel because uh, I, I don't have the privilege and power to show up and be accepted and have people curious about me. I almost need a liaison to tell people that I am a safe bet for people to attempt to engage with, you know? And so that's really disheartening because everything inside of me does not want to be tokenized in that manner because the power always goes to the person who's tokenizing me. And the moment that they deem me unworthy of that, 
they essentially can take back what they've given me. And I've experienced that, you know, firsthand. And so that's why it's like, I don't want to be tokenized because I want to be the source of my own power. But at the same time, I recognize that that's not a privilege that I have. When you say tokenized, you mean, and I'm just like, I just want to be super clear so that other people listening know what you're talking about too. But that's when like somebody, for example, would take one of your images and just reshare it and be like, yes, like that, yeah, kind, like that exactly. kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like with, without any discussion of the political nature of it or without any involvement yeah. whatsoever in the, I've had people delete my entire caption and just be like this queen right here. Woohoo. Yeah. And I will get a whole bunch of followers and they will read my stuff and they'll just be like, you're a reverse racist. I can't believe I was tricked into following you. And it's wow. like, wh- why were you tricked? Like, <laughs> what's happening? I don't even know, you know, where I've been reposted, what's happening. And a lot of the people will, you know, stick around and, you know, they'll understand. Because, again, we're a great deal more resilient than we allow ourselves to be. But every now and again, you know, somebody will show up and they will just be so upset that they were tricked into thinking that I was, you know, whatever, a good person and I'm just like, you know, that's definitely a side effect of tokenization when people refuse to engage with my message, my content, my politics, and they just share an image with Yas Queen. Uh, people, people don't understand who I am or, or what I'm about. And it's so dehumanizing because I'm constantly having to prove my humanity and worth to a bunch of strangers who only showed up because I was tokenized. Yeah, wow. Yeah, you do a lot of labor on your page. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, it's, yeah, I don't I'm not mad about that. I like being present. I like being, you know, in, engaged. But sometimes it does get like overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, do, do you block and delete people a lot or do you all the time? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm just curious because like I like I'm such a stalker, by the way. I'm never one to like. I'm just not like a commenter on anything. I think because I'm just an introvert in general, and so I'm an introvert online. (laughs) But um, my comment sections are really savage, so I always tell people like, enter at your own risk. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. No, but I learn. Like I just listen. Like I I read, and I'm like, oh wow, okay, okay. But I see you engage. Like I see you putting a lot into trying to educate people. And, uh, and so, yeah, I was just curious as to like, at what point are you just like, okay, forget, like, no, like this is forget this, get off my page. I can't, well, I don't have no, time for you. You know, honestly, I don't really, you know, it takes a lot. The things that I delete immediately are like people who just show up trying to derail the conversation. I've had that happen before where I had, you know, a men are trash post and there were women that were like, my dad's the best man there ever was. Oh, no. Fantastic. (laughs) Oh, no. You can totally go love your dad in the blocked section. Have (laughs) fun today. Like that, that conversation is just not necessary here. You know, um, I also will go ahead and block people who say triggering things like people will show up and be like, well, I guess I'm just going to go kill myself and all white women. And I'm like, fantastic. I'm just going to go ahead and delete and move on with my life now. Yeah. But, um, and then I delete people who will show up, you know, with hate speech. And a lot of people do, a lot of people will be like, you know, why can't I say faggot on your page? And I'm like, really? 
really? I would totally explain that to you, but I'm too busy blocking you right now. Yeah. So those are pretty much the only things that I will block. Mm -hmm. Um, other than that, if people disagree with me, it's fine. You know, we'll engage in discussion. If I disengage, then I just do, but I don't really, Mm -hmm. I don't delete the person. Yeah. That's about it. I mean, it it has to be somebody really causing some element of harm. And I personally don't feel like disagreeing with me or others is harmful. Okay. Yeah. That's, I mean, I, I give you a lot of props for handling it that way because I think a lot of people learn from just reading through the stuff. This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is brought to you by Tomboy X. I love that Tomboy X makes kick-ass gender-neutral underwear for all people and all bodies, all sizes, and all skin tones. Tomboy X makes amazing underwear for people whose opinions are anything but. My personal favorite product is the Brawlet because they are the best ones that I've worn. They are extremely comfortable, soft, and look super cute when you have them on. For the first time, I found underwear that doesn't just fit me, it gets me and feels so good on my body. It's time to stop wearing underwear that doesn't make you feel confident. No more underwear with more frills than function. No more underwear your mom got you to femme you up. Get underwear that's made to fit you and how you see yourself. They have bikinis, briefs, boxer briefs, trunks, and boy shorts, soft bras, racer back bras in everyday basic colors, fun seasonal prints, and brilliant colors. All options come in extra small to 4X. Regardless of where you fall on the size or gender spectrum, Tomboy X offers amazing underwear that anybody feels comfortable in. Go to tomboyx.com slash fearless and check out their special bundles and pack pricing. And fearless listeners get an extra 15% off with code fearless. Again, enter code fearless for an extra 15% off. Ditch whatever you've been wearing for a pair of Tomboy X underwear. Go to tomboyx.com slash fearless. So I, I want to talk to you about the about privilege and the way and the way marginalized bodies are policed and discredited especially within the body positive movement. So what are some of the problems that you see with that? Oh my gosh. I don't even know where to start. It's overwhelming. (laughs) (laughs) It is really overwhelming. I just feel that visibility is so hard Mm -hmm. to, to really achieve if you're in a visibly marginalized body within the movement, which is unfortunate because the movement was to, was to lend visibility to marginalized bodies. Yeah. So I think that that's really, really difficult. Um, and in the event that you do gain any momentum or any visibility, you're, it's an uphill battle. I've literally said things about thin white women and the ways in which they run their pages that are directly harmful, not only to the community as a whole, but specifically to fat people. And I've, asked thin white women to say the same thing essentially verbatim and they were listened to <laughs> yeah. and, and, and they were given high fives and their images and their messages were shared with abundance. And that is happening while simultaneously I am getting like shit on for having the audacity to string the words thin white and woman together. Yeah. So it happens all the time. And it's pretty like, I don't know how to navigate it, but there are definitely a different set of rules for people in marginalized bodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like the message you're like, your message gets co-opted and absolutely and, ta- and, and interpreted or perceived or re- received, I guess is the word I'm looking for in a, in a totally different way is what you're saying. 
I don't think that the message gets received in a different way. I don't think, I think that my message is ultimately disregarded. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I really feel like people are responding to me as a person. Mm -hmm. Um, like it's a personal thing because literally I've literally asked then white women to share my message verbatim and they've been rallied. So I don't think the issue lies with the message as much as it lies with the person giving it. Okay. Yeah. And so, I mean, what, uh, what other issues do you see with white women and activists and body positive spaces? You know, it's really fascinating. I just had a conversation with this recently. Some, some big thing happened the other day where a lot of people were involved. But um, in the comments section, one of my followers was told that they shouldn't have anything to say about Bopo because they're thin. And this follower of mine is, is a black woman. And she was just like, I'm black and therefore still visibly marginalized. Like my body is marginalized, um, regardless of the fact that I'm thin. And she was told that she could go find like black girl magic groups or black groups. And she didn't need to be a part of body positivity. Okay. Um, yeah, but I see a lot of that happening. Um, I see a lot of people saying things that are very trans exclusive and very racist And I see these things happening even from fat white women, because if you removed all of the thin white women from body positivity, like if they just disappeared overnight, what will we have left in terms of visibility and, um, you know, audiences, people with large audiences, it would be a lot of fat women, a a lot of fat white women who don't talk about race, who don't talk about gender identity, even queer white women in BOPO spaces, don't talk about gender identity. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's still so many of us that just fall through the cracks. And the largest populations that I personally have recognized that fall through the cracks happen to be people of color and the trans community. Yeah. And I think that it's unfortunate. And then there's also been a few times where there's been a lot of like major calls to actions to call out accounts for racism or transphobia. And, um, and it's always been radio silence. And it's such a heartbreaking thing for me to have to swallow that pill that I'm part of a community that, you know, if it's not a fat issue, that it's not an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and that people don't recognize that, like, I have an intersectional identity, that I'm not only fat, but I also experience fat phobia and racism simultaneously. So it's just really difficult to... to hold on to the expectation that people will take an intersectional approach to body positivity. And I don't think that white, even fat white women recognize how much privilege they have just in being white. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so like when you, when you think about, I know when when we first started chatting, I asked you about how you discovered body positivity. And like, when you look at, like when you kind of reflect on that and then you look at it now, like, do you feel like it's getting worse or better? (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, I've really tried, I've been very disengaged. I just felt like it was spiraling for my mental health. I felt like it was really spiraling out of control. I can only be told by so many people and, you know, in within spaces that I'm not welcome or that I'm not worthy or, you know, I can only be gaslit so many times before I'm just like, ah, okay, you guys, y'all are good. I'm going to go over here and do something else. Yeah. Um, so it's been a long time since I've really even paid a whole lot of attention to anybody. And I've had, I've been involved in a lot of, you know, cyber altercations, I guess. So I'm blocked by like a lot of big accounts and I'm okay with that 
to be honest. Yeah. There's, there's, that's, that's kind of like great for me. (laughs) The temptation to like gaze upon things that are other, that are pretty upsetting as like removed under those circumstances. So, so yeah, it really hasn't been something that I feel connected to even like try to compare then and now. I suppose though, if I had to hypothesize, I'd probably say that it's relatively the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I haven't looked at the hashtag in a while because that's sometimes how I'll just reflect on it. And I've just heard that, you know, because I think as it gets as the whole and it's a I mean, it's just it's kind of a meaning. It's a bit of a meaningless phrase at this point because of the way that it's been watered down and co-opted. And I think that because it's become more mainstream, my perception is probably that there's some there's some voices that have like stronger platforms because they've had time to grow and Mm -hmm. they are more political and they do get it. But at that same time, there's like a whole bunch of bullshit, fitspo, you know, like just other stuff yeah, that's come in to absolutely. use that hashtag and and muddy the water and, you know, basically like, I don't want to uh, ruin Like, I mean, just take away from what it was meant to be in the first place. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I think like that's kind of a really fascinating phenomenon that tends to happen when you invite privilege into marginalized safe spaces. Yeah. So Um, yeah, talk to me about that. (laughs) I think like that's, you know, for me, like that's the tricky element of, of allyship really, because ultimately you want allies. And in my experience, you know, in a lot of the ways I need allies because people are not going to look at me as a safe and, and like viable point of knowledge without some white person saying, yeah, trust them. They're, they're safe, you know, without somebody giving them the go ahead. So I do believe that allyship, allyship is valuable and, and helpful. However, I also recognize the detriment in allowing a space to be filled with allies who bring in their privilege and oftentimes seek a lot of acknowledgement for their work and often seek a lot of validation. And um, oftentimes the validation and the acknowledgement that they seek, they do it as a priority to the work that they're supposed to be um, doing for the marginalized community. Mm-hmm. Um, and then things just go downhill from there. <laughs> yeah. Like, is that what you would consider performative allyship? Like when it's like, I'm doing this kind of for the validation, for the likes, like to be, to to appear like I know what I'm, that I'm, that I care about these yeah. things. I don't know that I would call that performative allyship because I don't think that that's allyship at all. I would definitely consider it to be, I don't know, like something else in and of itself. Like, I really don't think that that has anything to do with allyship. I think in a lot of ways, that's just human nature. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, humans want to be seen, understood and part of, you know, connected to a whole. Um, and I think that when an ally enters a space in which, you know, the focus is not on them, they aren't somehow inherently connected to the whole other than just proximity, you know, being there. I think it's human nature to kind of want to assert those things for yourself. The problem is, is that as an ally, you should be regularly checking in and regularly holding yourself accountable to make sure that you're achieving the things that, that you're supposed to be doing as a priority, And, you know, I don't know, I recognize that that's difficult because it essentially goes against, you know, human nature in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. Do you think that a non-fat person can be a thin ally or that a white person can be an ally? 
Oh God, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know you've been talking about that a lot on your page, so I'm curious. What are your thoughts? Um, I'm. I don't know. There's a big part of me that wants to say it's possible. It has to be. You know, it has to be. But I don't know a lot of people who get it right. Mm-hmm. I'm really fortunate to be friends with Melissa, um, and you know, to get to spend a lot of time with her. She lives close to me, and I've learned a lot about what to expect out of a white ally from interacting with Melissa and seeing how Melissa navigates race and, um, navigates, you know, accountability and things like that. So I think she kind of gives me hope that it's, it's totally possible, but it's also at the same time been my experience, um, that if you just wait long enough, a white person will always, you know, uphold and fight for, you know, white supremacy, whether they know that that's what they're doing or not. And, you know, a thin person will always, you know, uphold, you know, thin privilege, whether they recognize that that's what they're doing or not. Yeah, like you've talked about the use of the word privilege, too, or like stating like you like the way that that term is used as a way. uh, How can I word this? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, when people post stuff and they say, I recognize I have privilege, like and how that in and of itself is problematic. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, I think when I first actually, I <laughs> very distinctly remember um, what, one of my first Insta stories when I like first started doing them when Instagram like first cut them on. One of my first Insta stories was talking about the value and acknowledging your privilege. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that just became such a like performative thing that people were doing. Like I acknowledge that I'm thin and now let me go be problematic um, is what started happening I distinctly remember somebody creating this video about body hair and they're just like, I recognize that I'm thin and I'm white and I've got this and I'm upper middle class and blah. And so like, you know, this person acknowledges their privilege essentially. And then they say some, and that, that's, that was the breaking point for me that I recognized that it wasn't enough. So this person is, you know, listing their privilege and they're just like, I acknowledge all of that. And I know that I have the privilege to make this video that people are going to listen to me and they're going to respect me for what I have to say and my body. And there are so many women of color, trans women, disabled women who are not going to get this opportunity. And then they proceeded to take up space. And I was just like, well, what was the point in acknowledging the privilege that you have? Like, what was the point if you're still going to contribute to our disappearance and our silence. Like, I don't understand, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that, and that's when I just realized like, it's just a perform. It's another performative thing that people in places of privilege do so that they can seem aware and seem empathetic. But after you acknowledge that you have access to things that people don't, why would you take those things from people who can't access them as opposed to give them to the people who can't access them? And so, yeah, just this idea of not acknowledging your privilege has just become something like people just check it off on their list <laughs> and then they go on and do something, you know, harmful immediately yeah. thereafter. Yeah, yeah. And so like what? OK, so in in an idealistic world, what would make someone a better ally? Like if or or even even if you think about like Melissa, like what you know, what, what can people do better? I guess is, is ultimately the question I'm trying to ask you here. I think that people really need to be better active listeners. I really do. I think that people need to be listening with the person who is speaking as a priority rather than themselves. 
So it's not about trying to figure out where you fit into the equation or whether or not you're guilty of, you know, X, Y, Z. It's not about trying to figure out how it applies to you as much as it is like really just trying to empathize and feel with a marginalized person. Like I have no idea what it's like to be disabled, but I do know what it's like to feel, you know, helpless or depressed or overwhelmed or, you know, in love or whatever. Like I know what all of those emotions and things feel like. And so when I listen to people trying to be like a good ally to the disabled community, I can disconnect myself from what they're saying and really just empathize with, you know, their feelings or their needs. And sometimes I don't have all the answers. Sometimes all I have is a listening ear and a closed mouth, just allowing them to have space and to have whatever visibility they might need in the moment. And I might not like everything that I hear and it's okay because it doesn't have to necessarily be about me specifically. And I wish that there was just more of that, you know? And I think that once you get that down, your behaviors have got to change. Um, there are so many woke white feminists out there. Um, they know better and they are still white feminists. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So yeah. After you've listened and after you've empathized, like, what are you actively doing in every moment of, of your, you know, political existence and your work that reflects that you've had, you know, any empathy or any listening? Because mm. if, if your work doesn't reflect that, then I mean, it was kind of all for naught. Yeah. And so that doing like, what are some of the what are some of the doing that you'd like to see? What is some of the doing that you'd like to see more of? I'd really love to see more people in places of privilege lending visibility to marginalized bodies or, you know, refusing to take on work if the publication or the photo shoot or whatever's happening, you know, if the project doesn't involve a certain amount of marginalized people, then I would like to see more people in places of privilege walking away from those projects. I would like to see more people taking up space, acknowledging their privilege, and then directly thereafter saying, because I have this privilege, I'm not going to involve myself with this project or whatever. I understand that I have the power to do so. And I was literally called upon to take up space because of that power. And therefore, I'm not going to utilize it in that way. I would love to, I just feel like those types of things will be super impactful because it challenges society then to turn an eye to marginalized communities. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really good feedback. Well, I you, I mean, like I said too before we started recording, I've just I've always you, I learned so much from you, and I I really appreciate the energy and the effort that you put that you put into everything that you share. I think you're really smart. You you've helped me just think and listen and um, become a lot more critical of everything, and and I I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so <laughs> I'm grateful that, you know, it always it's always like a good thing to hear that people are like understanding the message. I think so much gets lost when people become defensive. So it's really cool when people are like, you know, when they get it, you know, mm-hmm. maybe it's because I'm Canadian and I'm used to being passive. <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> I'm not raised to think that we're the best. I'm just joking. Sorry, that's a slight on Americans. <laughs> I love my Americans. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I like, like, I like genuinely, I just I, I think um, I've grown so much over the years just from from listening. And I think you've been you've been one of those pivotal people that like when I first went on your page, I was like, holy shit, like, like got that visceral feeling of 
Like, <laughs> wow, yeah. like I like what am you know, like I need to change stuff here. Like this is not this is not right. Like I, you know, and, and, um, and it's just helped me grow. And I, and I think that, you know, for other people, like if you really just stick around and listen, like you just become so much better off because of everything that you're saying. So I, I appreciate it. And I hope that, I hope that more people stick around to listen and that, that, and, and don't go into that defensive state of state of mind right away. Sure, sure. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> yeah. So where can people find more of you? Right now, I am just on Instagram at sassy underscore latte. I do have a Patreon where I upload a lot more, more in depth and a lot more like video content and things like that. Um, my Patreon is patreon.com slash sassy latte. There is some free content that's up for people. And the bulk of my content is just $1 Awesome. a month. Sorry, just a month, <laughs> not per thing for the month. You get access to a year's worth of content. Yeah. And I think supporting people like you is a good way to contribute, like to give back to like, just, right. you know, like it's like you're putting, you put so much more in that's worth, it's worth so much more than $1 a month. And that's like your free content. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Like really, well, you know, I really feel <laughs> like people underestimate the value of financially backing people of color, marginalized people in general. I think that it's so interesting that people don't recognize. So I have a friend who makes a lot of money off of, you know, educating people about intersectional feminism, but all of the work and the education that they have comes from black femmes who are not getting paid the way that my friend is. And I think like that's really profound. I'm not saying that I don't want my friend to get paid for their effort and their work. I do. However, imagine what the world would look like if all of the black femmes that are always on the front lines to revolution were getting paid the way that they should be. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's important. Contribute. That's all I can say there. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for being here today. This is great. I don't feel as nervous now. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no, it was a great conversation. I'm so grateful to be able to like have it to talk to people right on thank you so much for being here rock on i thoroughly enjoyed that interview i could have gone on forever talking about so many different things and learning from sassy i hope you did too and i hope you will follow sassy latte on instagram and listen and learn just as i have and uh, continue to do better collectively because i all think i think we all can all right thank you so much for listening to this episode i will talk to you soon rock on i'm summer in and in and i want to thank you for listening today you can follow me on instagram facebook and twitter at summer in and in if you haven't yet Go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on.